we are the Pop Gorillas. This is the show where we drop a spoiler-free review of anything from pop culture in less time than it takes to listen to a song. You've got to wonder about movie release scheduling sometimes. Die Hard, the greatest Christmas movie ever. Set on a snowy December 24th. Release mid-July. Avatar, an immersive sci-fi set on a lush and tropical habitable moon. Released in the depths of December. The Ice Road, a cold snap adventure movie set in the frozen north of Canada. Released end of June. The list goes on. As does The Ice Road, despite running out of gas around 70 minutes and yet another improbable impediment in. It's a shame as, up until then, it had been a predictable but perfunctory action adventure that entertainingly passed the time. Neeson is his usual gruff self. It's the sort of role he's been slumbering through since first announcing his special set of skills 13 years ago. I did love his character's practical, let's figure this out, can-do attitude though, in the face of constantly seemingly insurmountable odds. Stealing his, well, thunder, his amber mid-thunder. He was so great in Legion, a spunky fellow big rig driver tan too. She has an Aubrey Plaza-ness about her, which is fitting, seeing as they starred in the marvellous show side by side. She's feisty and fierce here, and deserves more. Hopefully someone with clout will see her work in this and think the same. Watching this in close proximity to fellow against the clock keep on trucking offering Sorcerer presented a stark contrast between independent and mainstream filmmaking. Freakin' 70s juggernaut is esoteric and experimental and authentic, whereas Hensley's contemporary Jerry Actioner is surface and glossy and slick. Sometimes, though, that's entertaining enough to do the trick. Make sure you subscribe, as you never know when the Pop Gorillas will strike next. Sequart presents Judging Dread, 13 essays analyzing 2000 AD's most beloved and reviled character, forward by Matt Smith, interview with Rob Williams, edited by Scott Weatherly. Find out who is the law. to talk about one of your favorites with us on social media afterwards. I'm your host, Tony Farina of DC Comics News and Fantastic Universes. I've been reading comics since I was 12, and while I love a good superhero battle, I gravitate towards indie comics and standalone graphic novels because they give artists a chance to connect with readers in different ways and tell stories they may not have been able to tell with traditional comics or traditional novels. I hope that you enjoyed the show. Well, my guest today, I'm super honored to have is um, comic book royalty. He's he's kicked down the doors of the way things are done, um, which is funny because I think what you guys do at Ahoy by bringing back the pro stuff, it's not like actually, innov- it's innovative because nobody's done it for years. But all comics used to have pro stuff, so we'll talk a little bit about that. Um, so you're a you're a you're a revolutionary and a throwback, Mr. Tom Payer. Tom, thank you for being here, sir. Tony, nice to be here. Thank you. Oh, this is so exciting for me. I I am such a big fan of Ahoy. Penultimate is, I think, 
I just love that book so much. So we're, I'm going to gush a little bit about that as the show goes on. But anytime I have somebody new on, um, first thing I always ask them to do is comic book origin story. And for you, it's, of course, anytime I have a creator on, it's different because you're not just a, you know, you're a nerd fan, of course, or you wouldn't be doing this. So you're not like, I hate comic books. So obviously you have your own story. Little Tom got his first comic book and what that led to. And then, then you know, your story is different, how that turned into a career as opposed to the rest of us who it's like, we still want that career. We just talk about it. Um, you know, I teach it. I, I use comic books in my classes, but I'm still, you know, I'm still not on your side of the desk. So um, let's hear if you're willing to share your comic book origin story. We would love to hear it. Well, sort of uh, uh, a lot of people in my rapidly dying age cohort will tell you that uh, we really got the bug bitten when um, a few years after the death of George Reeves, they were uh, syndicating Superman and it was on TV every day, the adventures of Superman. And that blew a lot of minds. And some of us, some of us were just sort of propelled into reading comics from there. And, uh, uh, and I am one of them. And I have this memory that always meant a lot to me. And as time goes on, there's more and more evidence that it's false, (laughs) but (laughs) My brother joined the Navy on this particular date, this particular year. And in my memory, he bought me a comic book because I was sad. I was a lot younger and he was going away. And I was, I I might've been crying. I was like five or six. And uh, so he bought me a comic book on his way out, on his way out of my life. And uh, (laughs) I think it was, um, we're at the bus station. I, I always thought it was Superman number 140, The Son of Bizarro, which is always one of my favorites. And um, I went and looked a few years ago, and according to whatever sources remain, that comic wasn't out yet on this date when he joined. So uh, the whole thing might just be a hallucination, and I have no idea how I got into comics. (laughs) I like your story. It was time. It was it was time travel. It was all timey-wimey, and uh, you, you, you happened to get it early. We'll just say it was a Twilight Zone episode. My comic book origin story was retconned. That's awesome. That's amazing. And so that's why your, your superhero name is Retcon Man, obviously. That's, that's what you do. So that's cool. That's cool. So, so Superman, I was a Green Lantern, and it's funny because, you know, you, and you've obviously done, you dabble in superheroes, and we have lots to talk about your love and kind of scathing view of what it, what a superhero tale is, not just what you do, but what all of you are doing over the Hoy. So, um, so that's, so that was your way in Superman was your, was your gateway drug. And then from there, so now you're collecting comics or reading comics. Um, when, when was that decision when you're like, Oh, this is a job. Oh, this is what? This is a job. This is a thing to do. It's oh, not well, just like. It happened to me late. Like everybody. Oh, yeah. Everybody joins the comic industry when they're like 22 and uh, uh, particularly, you know, editorial assistants and interns and stuff like that. Maybe you're 25 notes, but um, I was never a very ambitious person. And I ended up working on staff at DC Comics when I was about 35. And maybe a year before then, a year and a half before then, I had done some freelancing. Uh, which sort of greased my way into the staff job. But it was, but before that, for like 12 years, I did a, uh, like a local alternative 
weekly newspaper comic strip every week. And that just kept my head in it and kept my hands in it. And um, it just, uh, it just, it didn't really gel into like a, a mainstream comics connection until um, I uh, got uh, married to someone that I was afraid of and she yelled at me for not like, uh, for wanting this and not going for it. So, uh, and then I did it. So well, let's, can, can, what's the name of that alternative weekly comic strip and how do we get our hands on that? I don't know if you can, the, the paper's called the Syracuse New Times. It went out of business a couple of years ago, but when it was on its last legs, it was like the oldest alternative weekly in the country because they all die off, right? So, of course, yeah, yeah. It's like being the oldest, like nonagenarian with COVID. Yeah, <laughs> right. So, um, uh, but it, the strip was called Sideshow. For years, it was like about local politics. It was this sort of snarky take on local politics. And then the paper changed hands and there was no institutional memory to force me to do local politics. So I started doing like um, jokes about the president and stuff. And if I tell you who the president was, then you'll be shocked. But Will I? I doubt it. <laughs> But anyway, um, it was called Sideshow. And we actually did put um, a book out of them. And it is entirely possible that someday you'll go to like an estate sale of some dead person and go through their house. And, in upstate New York somewhere. In upstate New York. And then yeah. the book. So just hit the estate sales. All right, Josh, the editor over at DCN, he lives in upstate New York. So I'm putting this on you, Josh. Get on that, my friend. Yeah, Get out there. You have to go early. You have to like sort of sleep in your van in the driveway. <laughs> the floor. Yeah, I'm sure that's what he wants to do. <laughs> He's like the guy who's a. There was a scene in a. Um, was it Coyote Blue? I think uh, the book. And there's like this whole thing about garage sales if you don't get there early enough and the people just forgot that they put in the paper there was a garage sale so this guy comes out and he's like he holds like a baby bath ring and he's like you didn't get here early enough this is all that's left and so then everybody disperses because they're all mad at themselves for getting there at six in the morning and they had just forgotten completely it was a Chris, christopher moore so of course the jokes were that's fast really- and furious in a christopher moore book but that always made me laugh because you're absolutely right when you when you garage sale and a state if you're not there you're not oh, there early. Line. People are standing in line at sunup. Yes, it's crazy. I know. I know. I don't. I, I. I don't understand the need to have that much stuff. And it's like I've got enough stuff. I don't need your stuff. You're selling it for a reason. So, but you're right. You could find a hidden gem like sideshow. So hopefully it's out there somewhere. Um, that would be cool though. I would love to see that because I. I definitely think those. Um, we have another show on the network called Classic Comics. With Matthew Lloyd and and you know he he talks about newspaper strips and and how you know those were really an amazing view of the world uh, you know I, I think the the stuff that you're talking about that kind of satire is totally missing in mm-hmm. the world today I, I get really sad about it and I think satire is important where you guys do it ahoy which again we will talk about um, is important and so. I assume it was a big hit if you did it for twelve years people were like yes we would like to read this. Well, it's Syracuse, you know, it's like a mid-sized city and uh, things that last owe a lot to inertia. Okay. <laughs> is that is that good, do you think? 
<laughs> just what it is. I don't know. I yeah, know, we're if just. I, if I'd gotten in, I got into comics professionally, you know, like I got hired at DC in the year before we started Vertigo and stuff, and we were working with these amazing people like Grant Morrison and Kelly Jones and, you know. Yeah, you were an editor at Vertigo. Yeah, and yeah. Uh, if I had started my uh, uh, career at an age-appropriate time, I always think that the comics I would have been trained to do would have been pretty much out of fashion, even by the time I joined Vertigo. So I, I think showing up on time might have really shortened the career. Yeah, so everything works out fine, and that's good. Yeah. Well, I always I love Vertigo, and I cover Vertigo on this. You know, this is the indie comic spotlight show, and I, I do talk about Vertigo on here because I still think, even though it's a DC imprint, other than Sandman, which was rooted firmly in the DC universe, um, the rest of them weren't. And I love that idea that the DC would say, and you know, I'm disappointed how. You know that they they discontinued the Vertigo line and they just merged it with the Black Label. I think that was, I think that's too bad <laughs> that all those Vertigo titles are no longer their own universe. That they're all um, so that makes me sad. How did you feel? I know you weren't there because that's just recent. But but uh, what did you think of that? Just out of curiosity, when they folded Vertigo, well, I was you know I was a little sad about it, but you know things have their time, and it was a long time that it was out there and. Uh, Man, look at comic books. What doesn't come back? That's a good point. Yeah. That is a great point. Everything comes back. Everything yep. comes back around. Yeah. yeah. So you started there. So you're at Vertigo. You're an editor at Vertigo. You've done that. You've written a ton of stuff. You've drawn stuff. What was the impetus for Ahoy um, when we were like, I need to do this? You know what? You know what upstate New York needs? Its own comic book company. <laughs> Let's do that. What was... What was your rationale? And then also, like I mentioned at the top, you guys do the prose pieces at the end, like old timey comics used to have prose pieces in there so they could sell them at the magazine rate and they could sell, you know, they were cheaper, cheaper for shipping rates. But you guys do them. And I honestly say, I, I mean, I love everything Ahoy does, but those stories are great. And I actually, sometimes I'll save them up um, until the series is over because you do lots of mini. So I'll wait until, you know, then I'll go back and read those stories is because I, I kind of want to like savor the comic story you're telling. And then those stories can just be read at a different time because they're not necessarily connected. So what was your reason behind wanting to do that too? It's obviously not shipping rates. Oh, that's really, that's nice to hear you that you're into those and that you do that. Uh, I like that saving them up. Um, the reason when we started, we were starting with a blank slate and we could do whatever we wanted. And I've always loved comic books, obviously. And I remember just looking back over old comics to see if there are good things that aren't done anymore or were done briefly. Or And um, and we ended up with two things. One was the short stories in the back. And as you said, they had to be there in those old comic books to satisfy postal regulations. They got much cheaper postage and they had a lot of subscribers. They mailed out a lot of copies. So the... Um, they had to put pros in there to qualify. So you could tell it was just because they had to, because the stories weren't good. And they probably <laughs> very little to the writers to write them very, very fast. So we looked at those and we just thought, what if these were good? What would it? And uh, so there was that. And the other thing we picked up was from, it was actually from a company that I met. I used to pick up 
their comics as a kid when there was nothing else to buy. <laughs> and it was gold key comics, which were very, people have fond memories of like Magnus Robot Fighter and Dr. Solar, if you know the stuff. I guess it's Valiant Comics now. But, Valiant, yeah, right. But those, those comics back then were very calm, stayed, and uh, they could kind of bore you. But they did this wonderful thing that I always loved, which was they printed the cover art on the back cover without all the logos and trade dress and, and everything. And I just thought that was the greatest thing. You got to enjoy the art without all the necessary garbage. So we do that. I think, I guess we might be the second comic book company to do that. But, um, so yeah, it's just that it's just looking over old stuff and seeing if anything now could, if anything could work because, and why was it abandoned? You know? Yeah. Yeah. Well, and so, but what was it about wanting to do it yourself? And then also just out of curiosity, why Ahoy? Like other than like, Ahoy, pay attention. Like, Hey, and that was what Alexander Graham Bell, he wanted people to say Ahoy and not hello when you answered the phone. So that, and it's funny because it's like the exclamation point. It's like, hello. Hey. So, so I'm just curious about the name. I'm sure it's not an Alexander Graham Bell story. Well, Mr. Burns still answers the phone that way. If you remember. Right. (laughs) Cause he's that old. Right. Um, the, uh, uh, it was just, an, it was an opportunity that came up. Uh, I have two very great friends here in Syracuse. We've known each other for a long, long time. And, uh, one of them's Hart Seeley, who's a retired journalist, who's a daily print journalist here. And, uh, the other is Frank Camuso, who was the editorial cartoonist at our daily paper, the post standard. And he worked with, with, uh, with Hart and, um, uh, uh, Hart was in, I think he was maybe getting, he was looking for something to do in retirement that would uh, cause him tremendous headaches. <laughs> so he's like, comic books, that's the thing. <laughs> See, the, without my uh, urging or prompting or begging, he found some money to start a comic book company. And he Amazing. came to me and Frank and said, do you want to do this? He was not, he loved comics as a kid, but he never had anything to do with comics. But Frank and I were both like heavy comics people. So he thought he got the idea. Well, these guys would like to do this. And yes, we would, please. Yes, sir. (laughs) So, uh, um, so we got, we just started it. We started it and we started it um, in January of 2017, which was when something else big happened in America. Hmm. that made us want to have something else big to think about. Yeah. And that worked. We had something else big to think about. Yeah, absolutely. Nice distraction. But you guys were always commenting on the other thing that was happening in America. I mean, even when you're not, you are. I mean, it's always there. Yeah. 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 Like, you know, we don't want to do comics that, uh, you know, you can go out now and buy the, the Barack Obama coloring book, but it's not, it seems lame now because it's it's old history. It's not a current thing. So I don't want to do stuff like that. But it's not an accident that the villain in the wrong earth was a narcissist. Hmm. So if you could just sort of play the themes broadly, which is something that I, I picked that up from Grant Morrison. He had some thoroughly unpleasant person in his life that he turned into this cosmic villain. 
That, that's how you do it. That's how you do it. Uh, oh, Grant Morrison. The thing about, you know, Grant, obviously there's, there's something about Grant and Alan Moore too. They have this, the, there's, there's more with Alan than with Grant, but they both have this sense where it's kind of like they love comics, but they also kind of hate them. And it's like, that just comes through in the pages of everything they do where it's like, I love this, but I'm also so disgusted by it and I'm going to make fun of it at the same time. So it's like, uh, I don't know. Am I, I am I wrong on that? You know, Grant, is that true? <laughs> I don't pick that up so much from Grant. No. It is Again, I don't know him. I only, from the books that I'm reading, it's like. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, yeah. he's got, his stuff is really funny. He's got a oh, God. Of things. But I think he really loves the superheroes. Yeah. There are writers who don't, and you can kind of tell. Yeah. But, uh, I think he really loves the superheroes. Yeah. Well, he's really good at it. I mean, uh, you know, so I'm not, I'm not shitting on that at all. I'm just yeah. saying, you know, it's just one of those things, but it's funny that you said that, but that's also, that's, that's the therapy of art, right? Is that you get to do that. You're like, well, here's the thing that's bugging me. I can just include it and I can work through it in my art. I can, somebody who's pissing me off, I'll turn you into a villain. I can do whatever I want. And it's art. It's loosely veiled. Um, and sometimes it's not veiled at all. But it's there for all to see, like with Mark's um, second coming. I mean, you know, there's so much just like not even subtext. It's just text. Here's what we're saying about Superman. Don't sue us. We didn't call him Superman. <laughs> so right. it's just like it's not even, you know, it's just like right there. So I love what you guys do. And I think um, and it sounds like, you know, because you obviously cut your teeth on satire. So were you as, you know, you were reading comics and everything, but like I'm a. I, to me, I think satire is, is, I can't do it. I don't think I'm good at it. I am in awe of people who can do it. Um, these behind me, not people can see this. This is one of my many collections of Jane Austen, the complete Jane Austen novels. I have them all around my house. And I think she's one of the greatest satirists of all time. And people didn't get that she was doing satire. They're like, oh, they're romance stories. I'm like, are you reading? Are you actually reading what she's saying? Right. And I've always loved satire. So what was your, like, who were your people? There's a lot of Swiftian stuff going on in, in your books. Um, you know, obviously he was a great satirist too. What we're, why satire? Why was that? Why is that so important to you? Cause that is like, if the mission statement of Ahoy had, if there was one, it would be like, tell the truth, make it funny. You know, just parenthetically, because you brought up the classic book authors and stuff. I'm amazed at how many times I pick up a famous classic book. That's like hundred, 200 years old and discover how funny it is. Moby Dick's a riot. There's a lot of jokes in there. There's yeah. a lot of jokes in there. Um, I just started reading The Phantom of the Opera, and it's just, it doesn't take itself seriously at all. And right. some of these books don't, and but they get this reputation because the people, I guess the people who teach them seem humorless. <laughs> well, and that's the thing. That's part of my, as a person who teaches them, I'm always the one who, who says, I had yeah. a teacher, so I was, t I had, a, I met Gary Snyder during my freshman year uh, at my undergrad. He came, I didn't like me, it was like, he and I were hanging out, but he came to, to talk. And so my teacher was like, we're going to read Gary Snyder and we're going to read all this. And so we spent like two months getting prepared for what Gary Snyder is, is about. And then he comes and he's like, well, whatever. He's like, this is about my son. And if you want it to be that, that's fine. But it doesn't have to be that. You can do it's my art, but I'm giving it to you. What do you need it to be? And it like was such a great moment for me to be like, I've just spent two months regurgitating something that I just, and I disagreed with her all the time, but I wanted to pass. So I just recited her nonsense back to her. And then to have the writer say to me, 
that's fine. So it was just so I, since that, like as a teacher, I'm the guy who's like, what does it mean to you? I think it means this, but what do you think it means? And that is the most important, you know, thing there. Cool. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> You're that kind of band teacher. Yeah, I, 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 I try. <laughs> yeah, that's great. Yeah. Um, we wanted it was very important that all of our books on some level be funny. They don't have to be comedies, but everything has to be funny on some level because uh, sometimes it's, sometimes it seems like entertainment is not the prime directive in some comic books. It's more important. Continuity might be more important or um, uh, big shocking surprises might be more important, but just, I think, I loved and I felt really happy and lucky to be writing, you know, familiar characters for big companies and stuff. But it would always, my one frustration with it was sometimes you couldn't tell the best story you could because you had to stop it because it was something that was happening in some other comic book. So we felt like just stamping it with really obvious entertainment value and, and, and nothing entertains me more than something I think is funny. And uh, uh, that's it really, that's really it, really. I mean, we want the books to be uh, smart, funny, and good looking. They're all that, they are all that. The artists that you have working for you, it's like, do you like wake up some mornings or like, holy shit. I, I mean, I've got Richard Pace is, is drawing a comic and, and oh. I've got, you know, and it's like, and for you, like uh, Jamel doing The Wrong Earth, you're just like, that's something that happened for you, Jamel, through your book. And you're just like, yep, that's my day. That's my life. That must be amazing. It really feels amazing to look at the work. And, you know, I mean, uh, the harsh and bitter truth is that after you've been doing this for a long time, you wake up in the morning just as miserable as everyone else. <laughs> but... Then sometimes you're uh, looking through one of your comics and you see this amazing page by Jamal. You just get this like rush, you know, and it's, it is beautiful. Oh yeah. And I think, and Penultimate, uh, listen, as, as I've already gushed and wax poetic and I've got lots to say to you, but and, and you as the writer, you've written this amazing story and then, you know, Alan's like, watch what I'm going to do with it. Like, what is that like for you did, was there stuff with that or with Jamal or with anybody that you're working with, but specifically with you? Cause you've got this like murderer's row of artists for a way. It's, it's amazing. Um, so like for you, do you, cause like, what does that do for the story for you? And then do you, do you change it? Cause you're always doing minis. So like Penultimate's only five issues and the wrong earth, it's several minis, but there's still minis. So you don't have a lot of time, but once you see the pages coming in or you're like, Oh shit, I got to rewrite issue four, because now that I know, you know, Alan's doing this, or I know Jamel's doing this, I've got to do something different. Or is that all still just pre-planned because you know the skill that you have coming in? Oh, yeah. Well, yeah, I know how good they are, but but then you see they're even better than you, you thought they were. I haven't had a thing where I've had to rewrite something because they were so good, but I've had, in both those cases, the books were different because of who was drawing them. I mean, I mean, Jamal came in and he's a real co-creator. I mean, there's so much in that book that was his idea. And just making them dragonflies was his idea. It's amazing. I love that. 
Yeah, me too. Me too. I had them being dogs. Oh, really? That's crazy. That's a different book. It would have been awful because it's a joke on top of a joke. But the dragonflies thing is just absolutely perfect for it. And and that that was Jamal. That works with Stinger then. So then Stinger got to be Stinger. Singer would have had a different name if you weren't dragonflies. Yeah, he would have had Spike, and he would his mask would have been like one black circle around one eye. That would have been funny, though. It would have been really funny, but this book shouldn't be too funny in that way. But um, so uh, we dodged sort of the bullet of my ideas on that one. But the uh, and Penalta man, he just—I mean—he is so his characters feel again like dogs they feel emotions so grandly and all over the place alan robinson's characters do a lot of things but most of what they do is feel and his facial expressions are uh he can go from comedy to tragedy without missing a beat and without changing anything about his style because it's all about how the and it's from are. it's on the same page too with penultimate it'll be in a it'll be from top panel to bottom panel you've had an entire emotional roller coaster it's amazing and when i saw i could do that with him i just started trying to do it more you know and uh because he's i mean he's going to do it anyway his he knows what they're feeling and and he's he's kind of like that too he's a really lovely man and he's he's a he's a feeler i think well yeah. it comes it comes out i i i so pedal to man since we're talking about that um so I love it. First of all, I said that already 20 times. And I'm sure you're like, okay, say, ask a real question. But here's the thing about it is I didn't know I needed it until I needed it, until I read it. Like, I didn't know. Like, I got it. I picked it up. And I'm like, I don't know what this is another thing from Ahoy. I've yet to be disappointed by anything from Ahoy. I will admit to liking some a little bit better than others. There's not been one thing from Ahoy that's been disappointing or where at least once I haven't been surprised or like pleased in a real way. Like you mentioned the entertainment value. So but a challenge. What's that? Challenge. We have to disappoint. You got to disappoint me. Yeah, please don't. No, I no. I mean, I love everything you guys are doing. I love the kind of Gonzo. It feels like Gonzo journalism, but it's a comic book. You know, it's just like it's so. Like I said, it, it, it's tell the truth and be funny, and you're doing both things. And and so with Penultiman, the thing that I love about it, and we've talked about this online, we talked about it before, the Philip Larkin poem, This Be the Verse, They Fuck You Up, Your Mom and Dad. Every time I read this book over and over, I just keep coming back to this idea and how they don't mean to, right? In that poem, they don't mean to, that's not their intention, right? It's just what happened to them, so that's what they do it. And so Penultiman's perfect, like to us, he's like the pinnacle, but he, but you, we all know from this history, he's the second level, he's almost perfection. And of course, what you draw perfection, what, what Alan draws perfection is, isn't at all what we think. So it's like, you're just flipping the script on so many things. And so what pleasantly surprised me, and this is my long wind up to get to a question, I suppose, is how, what was the, why was it so important that the perfect species is penultimate Anne and was almost like a trial Falmadorian was like, almost like a, you know, Vonnegut alien character instead of Penultimate. Like, what was your, how did you make that decision that what we think is perfect really isn't? And was that where the story started or did that happen after? Well, I, I think they're primarily that way because I thought it would be funny. Okay, perfect. But also, it, but it, the thing about it after it also made sense as I was doing it that the um, ultimate, most perfect people 
would have uh, attributes of perfection that you and I could not wrap our heads around. Why is that beautiful? Uh, to us, it's not at all. And, but originally, it was just funny, like ha have him yearning to be like these these horrible looking people. I know. <laughs> It's pretty cool, though. I think it's really smart because I think what you're asking us to do when you read it, because, you know, the first panel, the very first panel is like, you know, here he is totally jacked up. You know, it's almost like a Namor. Like, that's the, the look, right? So, I mean, the very first thing he's even wearing his little type, you know, the little Speedo that Namor wears, except it's black. So it's like he's that perfect. And that's what we think. And so it's just so smart. Um because everything is subversive. And then by the time you see what could possibly be more perfect than him, it's this thing. But that's the idea, right? Is that we, what we think is perfect isn't. We all love what we love. Mm -hmm. And what whom I find attractive is different than who you find attractive, who our children find attractive, whomever. So I think it's such a smart commentary on that idea of perfection. That perfection, while in this comic book, there's are these creatures that are perfect. It's still just a perspective. And you can't get away from that. I think the idea of perfection does a lot of harm to people. And I agree. Uh, I will try to pull the rug out from under it whenever I can. I did a series at DC called Our Man, which was about that too. Um, about a hero striving to be less perfect. Yeah. And um, yeah, I'm, I'm, the, I'm an enemy of perfection. Anyone around me will tell you that I am tremendously imperfect. So... <laughs> Well, I think it's important for us to recognize that in ourselves, right? Like, I think what I like about it, too, is that um, Penultiman, he's aware of his own shortcomings and they make him really sad. It, like, is soul-crushing. And, and the commentary there, for me, again, as just the reader, the way I take it, my own reader response criticism of it is, you're reminding us that, like, this guy on the outside seems to have everything going on. And so it's very much like, let's not... Let's not worry what's going on in the neighbor's house. Let's not look at the neighbor's whatever and be jealous of it. There's no need for that. Like deal, like deal with your own stuff, find your own happiness because what it looks like is not what it is. Yeah, that's in there. Absolutely right. Absolutely right. It's uh, uh, anyone would envy Penultimate's exterior, but his interior is something you would not want at all, but it's a secret. And it is. And I, what I love is that with Wayne, his alter ego, Wayne, agent Wayne Cruz, um, he is like the human embodiment of all of those feelings. So is that you to make him look like that? Or was that Alan? You're like, he needs to be, he needs to be like all of this angst that penultimate feels that needs to be projected into this human form in this alter ego. And as soon as you see him, you get who he is immediately the way he's, he moves and even though he's not moving, it's still panels, but you feel him moving through space. Like he's almost like, sorry, I'm in your way. Like he's always apologizing for existing. It's so good. Um, was that you? Was that was that something you and Alan put together? Alan, <clears throat> Alan came up. I mean, the look of that guy was not something I was specifically expecting. And I loved it. Oh, God. I loved it. I that probably did ask for it to be, you know, kind of shlubby. I always loved uh, this, uh, in Mad Magazine, when it was a comic book in the 50s, they had uh, Super Duper Man, their Superman parody, drawn by the great Wally Wood. And when he was Clark Kent, or, you know, Mark. Whatever they called him. Yeah. 
he uh he was about one third of the size of Superman. He had these big glasses and he was his job at the Daily Planet was to like empty the spittoons and he was always coughing and it was just completely wretched. So that never left me. Nice. I, it comes through. I just, I think, I mean, it's, it's so weird to like feel such agony to, for something you love. I love this comic, but every time I revisit it, I just want to crawl in there and give him a hug and oh, nice. tell him it's okay. And, and he needs that so desperately. And so then you give him an assistant who refuses to get, nobody gives him that. And, and so why, why did you make the choice that that he's got to come to it on his own? Obviously that's the journey that he's on. His hero's journey isn't to be a hero, isn't to stop the bad guys. It's to love himself. What a, what a beautiful hero's journey you've given that. So, so was there ever a temptation to have anti-penultimate or pre-anti-penultimate to actually like, give him what he needed? Were there ever drafts where you're like, I'm just going to have them give him the validation that he needs? No, no. Cause it was, a, it was going to be about more or less their failure too. I mean, um, can you fix another person? And, uh, uh, I'd be surprised if you really can. I don't know. Yeah. Certainly. I wouldn't, I wouldn't, it's not a job I would give to a robot. <laughs> Right. No matter how human the robot is. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, and I love that he built a, another version of himself that honestly going into the fifth issue. And again, I don't want to spoil too much. I don't want to give everything away because I've got theories, but I guess I was going to ask you about them, but I really don't want that because I just want everybody to go buy this. So I don't want to spoil anything. I have a, it's like a very chicken and an egg thing. Like I'm not sure who's who by the end, they've got these three versions of penultimate and they could all have been there first. With their, especially with their names, pre anti you know, and so it's like, anyway, when you, when I, we went into the fifth issue, I was not expecting you to like add a third, you know, add another character that I thought, like, how are you going to add another thing to this? It fit in perfectly. Um, did you know it was going to be five? Was it always five? Was that? Five? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, it was always, it was, I planned it for five issues. You did. Okay. And so throwing that curveball at the end, um, and leaving such an ambiguous ending. I love an ambiguous ending because then that means it gets to sit with me and then I get to go back and read it over and over and be like, okay, well, here's this clue and I'm going to go back to page one of issue one and then I'm going to look, ooh, is that look in the background? Is there something I'm missing? So I love that ambiguous ending. How? What? Two questions on that. What was the feedback you've gotten from that? And then, um, you know, why do you like an ambiguous ending? Because obviously you do, because you've done it several times in the stuff I've read. It's not like you don't want a tight bow at the end of your writing. So why do you like that so much? Well, it, if 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 you wrap it up tightly, it it just feels more like a fake story, doesn't it? I mean, I think the appeal. The, it took me a lifetime really to understand the appeal of sports because I'm a comic book geek. But I I, I got in my like advanced years following baseball and the. The amazing thing about this stuff is that you can't, you can have a team you consider good versus a team you consider bad, but you can't contrive a satisfying ending for it. It all depends on where the ball goes. Right. Yeah. That's really wonderful. And I like the idea of, of, um, you know, an ending that's less pat. I thought with this ending, I wanted, um, 
I wanted Penultiman to at least be trying something. Like that's kind of the happy part of it, is that he's trying. The unhappy part is maybe he made a bad choice, but we don't know. Well, and I think that's the comment, right? That's the thing why I, I was unsure going into issue five, how you would end it. And then you throw in another character. I'm like, wait, did they change their mind? And then they're going to do like Joe Hill did that with a basketball heads. It was supposed to be six. And then like at issue four, they decided we're going to add one more. And then it became seven. Um, so I thought, is that what happened? Is there going to be an, is there going to be a sixth issue when I started issue five? And, but no, you didn't do that. So I was totally, I had no idea how you were going to tie it up. And then there's a new character. So I thought, oh, you're going to extend it, but you didn't. And so I love what you just said though, this idea that he's trying something and he, he doesn't know. We don't know. Nobody can ever know if that ultimate decision is the thing and um, is the right choice. But even if it seems like the right choice, I think what you've told us through the previous four issues of this book is that it is all just what it seems like. It's all perception. It's all relative to the reader. It's all relative to the characters in the book. Um, I like that you're saying he's trying something. Um, and it's almost like you we should all try that. It's okay if you're sad. It's okay to be sad, you tell us in this book. Um, it's just not okay to be miserable. Or maybe it is okay to be miserable. I don't know. I just, it's it's right. very deep. Like, I feel like you could use this, and I hate to use that word because that's so lame, but like, I, I, if I taught, I'm, I'm an English teacher, but if I was a psychologist, I would use this book to like have an interesting conversation about like diagnosing penultimate. What are his psychoses and what are they rooted in? It's amazing. Was that there? Was that intentional? Was the the human psychosis that you've put on this non-human? Was that like how much psychology do you know, and how much of that worked into this? I, I think I just saw an opportunity to monetize my self-loathing. <laughs> oh my god! Okay, well, bravo! <laughs> it worked for me. I love this book, and. Uh, like I said, I think about it all the time. I think about it a lot. Um, it, and that's the sign of a good, any good, good art is that you think about it after. And that as soon as you're done, you want to read it again. You know, there's a handful of things like Parasite, that movie Parasite. As soon as it was over, I had to watch it again. Mm -hmm. That's how I felt with this. Like, there's not a lot of things that I do that with. Most things I'm like, I'm going to sit with that. And maybe I'll revisit it in a month or but like, or a year or whatever. But with this, I needed it all over. Once issue five came out, I had to start the whole thing over again because then I could understand it better. And I still don't know that I'm any closer to fully knowing exactly what happened, but I have a sense that it was, the trip was worth it. And I feel better about myself in a way, like when I feel shitty about myself, it's okay, right? Like you're telling everybody it's okay. Cool, thank you. It's so good. I just, I love it. And um, okay, so I can't, Leave. I know I want to be respectful of your time, but Penultimate is a superhero book. Dragonfly, The Wrong Earth is a superhero book. You've written superheroes. And, and I feel good satire. I say this all the time on the show, so sorry, everybody, if you're sick of hearing me say this. But to be a good satire, you have to play in the sandbox with the thing that you're making fun of, right? You can't, you can't like stand outside and be like, I'm going to make fun of that, but I'm not going to do it. You know, you can't not get dirty. So you can't have, you can't make fun of superheroes without having a superhero. If you don't, it doesn't work. So what is it about superheroes that you feel deserve the satirical treatment? Because it does seem like you love them. 
but you don't hate superheroes, right? So, so what's that? I don't, I love them. Yeah. So why do you think they deserve, what is it about them that you feel they need this? And why do you think your audience reacts so positively to them? The Ahoy audience gets what you're doing and we keep coming back for more. So what is it about a superhero comic that needs satire? Like Superman, there's no satire in a Superman comic. Superman is earnest, right? Batman obviously is what the dark earth is. It's the Frank Miller or the wrong earth. It's the Frank Miller Batman and the Adam West Batman, right? Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, so uh, other heroes too. I mean, it really too approaches to comic books, really. Uh, uh, because all of the pre-1980 superheroes were like spent all their free time saluting the flag and helping people across the street, you know. During the comics code stuff. Right. And then after one after Wolverine showed up, they all wanted to slit your throat. So it's <laughs> okay. it's, it's not just there are a lot of like trappings that come in on Batman, but there were a lot of heroes with the same trappings too. Oh, sure. Sure. So, but why is it that you think that comic books need the satirical look? Like why did you, and again, other than you just want things to be funny, but you guys could, you've got, again, Murderer's Row, your, your writers, you're a, you know, you're a world-class writer. You've got amazing writers. You've got this amazing artist and you're like, yeah, let's still tell jokes instead of just doing like a straight superhero comic. Why do you think it has to be satirical? Besides just, it makes you laugh, which it's good. But what about comics need to be, you know, analyzed in this way? Well, it's, it's, well, it's, it's another flavor. It's to differentiate us. It's to use our own personalities because this is the stuff. And we're working with people who, uh, that's part of their personality is to bring humor to things. Um, You want to, you there's a lot of superhero stuff out there and there's a lot of mainstream superhero stuff out there now, TV shows and movies. And a lot of it is uh, really, really takes itself seriously, which is fine. And part of me loves some of that, but uh, we're not going to beat another, we're not going to beat a bigger company at their own game. If we, if, you know, if we decided to like, interlace everything with continuity and, and uh, tell, tell really uh, teeth-grittingly serious stories where the old Silver Age hero's wife is sexually assaulted. If we're telling these That stories, book's tough. That's a book I can never read again. I know what you're talking never, about. That was awful. Never going to uh, stand out will disappear because they're a big people playing that game that way and people why wouldn't you prefer them you know that's so, fair uh just we're just trying to be ourselves <laughs> yeah well i think it works and again based on you know because i read I, I mean i don't just read your guys stuff i, I mean i knew you before oh, i knew mark you know before with his flintstones work and prez and stuff so it's not like and it was honest and i'll tell you the truth is you guys started in 2017 and so I heard, you know, it's like one of those things, you know, you kind of know, but it was when you guys made the decision to bring Second Coming over after DC shit the bed on that. That is, I, I don't know if they regret that decision, but I'm assuming they see how successful it's been over to Hoy and they're like, ooh, we shit the bed. Um, was that like instant? Were you like on the phone to Mark and you're like, dude, we've got a home. How, how, 
How did you make that decision and how quickly did it did the deal come together to get second coming? When we heard about it, we desperately wanted it right away. And we had to wait a while because they were entertaining offers. And oh, okay. The uh but when but it seemed like I think they felt like they were always going to bring it to us. So, um, because the uh, Mark had worked with us, and we had a good, good working relationship, and he really likes the material too. Yeah, and it is a good fit here. It's a really oh, it's a perfect fit. It is. That's what. So when that happened, that really raised my awareness of Ahoy, and then I was like, "What's going on?" And um, and so it it is. It's but four years now. You guys have been at it, going strong. Uh-oh. I'd like to say that DC was just wonderful and like sharing files with us, passing the torch. Oh, good. Easier. Um, they were really, it was a real amicable parting with Mark and Richard. And it, it was kind of a mutual feeling. I think that if they're going to keep doing it there at that big company with so many eyeballs looking at them, they're going to end up having to make changes. They don't want to ask for, and they don't want to make, you know, but uh, and that, and that's just me. No one said that to me. That's just no, me. but isn't it crazy that the company, and again, I'm not trying to shit on DC. I read DC. I love DC. I've gotten drinking from a Batman mug. You've got all your Batman stuff. I'm not pretending, but I'm saying it's funny that the company that made Preacher was like, this is, <laughs> this is a bridge too far. Like, are you serious? Like second coming is brilliant as it is. I love second coming. And I think Mark Russell is again, one of the greatest working satirists alive but it's like you're telling me that this is what made you balk but you did 80 issues of preacher what the people who approved preacher weren't there anymore that's true totally true it's a different company no it is it is but it's just it's crazy for me to think that like you know and it's like even with uh, the boys they let that go after six issues they're like yeesh you know so they've definitely they, they're on their path there and it's fine you know i have issues with grifter being brought into the dc universe and you know like we talked about but that's just all personal stuff there it's a business decision for them they're going to do what they do it worked out well for you guys <laughs> um it's it's and i love this the second run of that and i just um i just am a big fan so i i, pre, I just want to say uh thank you to you for doing something for for being bold and you're saying you're doing it for yourself, which all art, we just do all art. I'm working on a novel. Everything you do, you do for yourself. But I appreciate that you've put it out in the world because there's there's people like you who want this, who want to feel this way and have our art make us think. There's nothing wrong with good, mindless fun. I watched this dumb revenge thriller this morning while I was exercising, and I loved every second of it. It was time well spent. But I thought, it's over. I'm going to forget it. Your books, everything you guys do at Ahoy sits with the readers. And so I just want to say from those of us who love what you guys are doing, thanks for doing it. Thank you very much. It's so nice to hear. And I will say we have this comic uh, where we do, um, it's Edgar Allan Poe's Snifter of Terror. It's so good. It's going to be Snifter of Death when it comes back. And it's, um, when once it's a, it's a, book of funny horror stories and Edgar Allan Poe is portrayed really disrespectfully in there as a drunk who's been reduced to introducing comic book stories when he used to have this great career as a writer. He's kind of like the crypt keeper of your stories. He's the crypt keeper. Yeah. If the crypt keeper crossed with like an alcoholic who's being a department store Santa, you know. (laughs) Wow. There's your tagline right there. But we, uh, 
sometimes, and definitely when I, I write a few, I've written a few of the stories and my goal every time is to make them as stupid as I possibly can. Like, like try to out stupid the Roger Corman movies and like the <laughs> dumbest adaptation you ever saw of Poe and just slapping Poe's name on something that, that just is exploitative and awful. And that's my goal. So yeah, but, always like smart comics. Sometimes they're dumb. Yeah. But, but hearing your description just right now, you're it's an intentional, it's intentionally dumb. It's that's what still makes it smart. It's the, it's the meta commentary there. Like you're going out of your way. Like, like the Sharknado movies all knew how dumb they were. That's why they're great. Like they didn't take that seriously at all. The only person in the Sharknado movies who's taken it seriously is Tara Reed. She doesn't know what she's doing. Like she thinks she's in an action movie and the rest of them are like, huh? And so um, that's why I love them because they know what they are. And so, you know, I think there's nothing wrong with that. You know, there's nothing wrong with doing that deliberately. So um, I just, again, I can't, I, I, I'm sorry. It's it's hard sometimes when I interview people that I'm such in awe of. I know I kind of turn into Chris, the Chris Farley show. Remember that time? <laughs> that was awesome. So I apologize if I've if I've done that a little too much here in the interview. But um, before we go and before you promote yourself and all of the amazing things you have coming, the last question I always ask everybody who's on my show is, who is it for? Who's you? Who do you recommend it to? Now it's different because you not only are a writer, you're also the owner of the company, but. Um, who is it for? Like, who do you recommend it to? If you aren't you, if you're just some random guy who's reading Ahoy comics, whatever it is, Penultimate, Wrong Earth, whatever, who do you recommend it to? Who's the person that you say, this? I want this book in this person's hand? Well, that's a really good question. And uh, I should probably think that way more often. It's, uh, and it would, be, it would be different for different books, obviously. I mean, uh, for The Wrong Earth, Maybe even penultimate, but maybe not. Definitely for the wrong earth, you want someone with some grounding and having read comics so they can care about these issues, like the difference between the parallel worlds, you know. So brilliant, by the way. I mean, I love that. It's so smart. And the the, this, the Dragonfly, Dragonfly Man series, where you were like telling the same story, but, you know, through the different earths and, and the story is progressing. And so you're seeing it happen in real time differently. That is so smart. That's great storytelling. I can't even imagine what your outline of that must have looked like, but that is, if you're not a comic book geek who grew up with Earth 1 and Earth 2, that book makes no sense. You're absolutely right. That is for, that is for us. I mean, you can figure it out, but why would you care about it? Why would you care, right? You wouldn't get the joke. Yeah. Yeah. That's how I always felt about, like, Watchmen in the 21st century. Why would you care? It's a commentary on how uh, uh, I don't know. Sickly comics were in the eighties, you know. So yeah, well, that in, that has endured, thankfully, right, Watchmen? It has. Yeah. Yeah. Why? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> what does right. it say to anyone today? Yeah. <laughs> but, I mean, the HBO show is an exception, obviously. But. Yeah, I thought that was great, though. But I thought they did it. I yeah. thought it was. I enjoyed the shit out of that. I thought it was really smart. Um, they used, it was smart. They knew what they were doing, right? They're like, we're going to use the name to get the eyeballs and we're going to tell a totally different story. <laughs> so you're like, oh, okay. That's, a, that's fair. Um, Ultiman, maybe if you hadn't read comics since you were a kid, you could probably ease into it. Same with Second Coming. Oh, yeah. Second Coming is, and, and the uh, second the, the second series is just so smart too. God. So good. So good. 
And we, um, and then, oh, Captain Ginger <laughs> is one that if you've seen Star Trek or a cat, it, you could get it. Either or, Star Trek or a cat. Yeah. Either one, you get it. Captain Ginger, it, again, there's the idea of, of making camp, right? Star Trek, knowing that it's camp. Like camp is high art and that you're creating a comic book that's commentating, com- making commentary on camp is high art. And like, it's, it's great. That's a wonderful comic. And, but Bronze Age Boogie, you would really kind of want a grounding in 70s Marvels, really, almost. Well, not yeah. almost, definitely. Billionaire Island, oh. Mark Russell and Steve Pugh. Uh, you don't ever have to have read a comic to enjoy that. That's about, yeah. that's about all you need to do is, uh, is look at the, read the news, watch the news. Yeah, that one was, again, that was... There was not even subtext in that one. It's just like text. Read this book. <laughs> yeah, and I live in Florida too. So when that first issue came out, I was like tweeting at Mark. I'm like, "Hey, man, where have you? Do you live next door?" He's like, "Yeah, it just made sense. Where else would you put it besides Florida?" I'm like, "Yeah, no, I get it. <laughs> I understand. I get what we're like down here. I understand. I, I don't. I don't approve, but I approve of your comic. Oh, I hear you, man. I hear. Yeah, you. yeah. So." I- I lived in South Florida for four years. Oh, okay. So you get it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm in Southwest Florida. So yeah, it's a, unfortunately it's a nightmare down here as always. So you live in New York now. You're like, Hey, I don't want to live in South Florida anymore. I, it's beautiful. Most of the time you like put up with the crazy because you look out your backyard and like, Oh, there's an Osprey. Amazing. I couldn't see that anywhere else. So I, yeah, <laughs> it is pretty cool. Well, thank you, Tom. I, I, I think those are all excellent recommendations and, and I appreciate you letting me gush at you. That's just got to be weird. So it's, it's twice in a month I've done it. I met another one of my comedy hero. I met Don Chin the other day, the adolescent yeah. radio. I did interview him and um, I was unglued because I was 13 when I read Adolescent Radioactive Black Belt Hamsters for the first time. That's when it came out when I was 13. And um, then to meet Don Chin at 48 and I'm like, like my brain couldn't put it together um, that it was happening. And he was so gracious, just like you've been as I fawned all over you. So I appreciate it. Um, I wish let's, Penultimate could talk to you. He would uh, feel much better. I would love Penultimate. Tell him that I love him. And if he wants to make another comic, I will buy it. And um, I just think he's great. And I, and I think he's just too hard on himself. We all, we all are imperfect. As you said, we're all imperfect and that's okay. And it's okay to say you're wrong and be wrong. I think he just, he doesn't know that it's okay to be wrong. Like I've, I'm a teacher and I'm wrong all the time. Like I tell my students, it's okay. I'm going to make, if I make a mistake, just own the mistake, you know? So um, anyway, I just love him. He's great. So I'm glad I've made him feel better. <laughs> I hope he's okay at the end. Um, make him feel worse because he would feel like he wasn't living up to it. <laughs> Oh, that's not at all what I want for him. Oh, that's no good. That's no good. Well, tell everybody how they can, you're a great follow on Twitter. You are very engaging. You and I tweet back and forth and you're great with your fans on there. So obviously you're on Twitter and where, where else can people find you and how can all the good people of earth get Ahoy Comics? Well, I'm, yeah, I'm Tom, at Tom Pryor, P-E-Y-E-R uh, on Twitter. And it's, uh, we have uh, an, an Ahoy account called at Ahoy Comic Nags. Um, a website called comicsahoy.com and you can find out how to sign up for our monthly newsletter by 
Annabeth Hedry, and it's very, she does a very funny job and a wonderful job. Uh, we have this free email newsletter. Nice. And do you get that, Tony? I don't. I don't know why. I'm obviously a monster, so I'm going to sign up for it right now. Uh, it's bit.ly slash news ahoy. Bit.ly slash. And I will put that in the show notes. Great. And also, you guys are one of the few comic companies that are open for submissions occasionally for those short stories in the back. Yeah, for the prose stories, for the short prose stories, definitely. We are open for submissions. Usually, you can go to the website. There's a portal to submit through. Sometimes it's open. Sometimes it's closed. But check back. Yeah, because I, I have I've got a couple of stories that I'm I'm, I'm trying to polish to submit. I'm, I'm, I don't feel like they're ready yet. Like I feel like they're close, but I don't think that they're ready, and I don't want to embarrass myself. So now that you know who I am, and I've already interviewed Mark before. Mark and I I've interviewed Mark several times over the years. So it's like I don't want to shit the bed in front of these people. Like if I'm going to submit something, it better be good enough. So. <laughs> Well, cool. Look forward to it. Yeah, we look for things that maybe have a sense of humor. They don't have to be comedies. And uh, maybe uh, lay off with the uh, suburban life with just one supernatural twist. Maybe lay off that for a while. But we're open to uh, a lot of things, even poems. And you do the artwork, too. Like, you let people submit the art, too, don't you? Or is no, that your artist? Illustrate them, yeah. Yeah, it's so cool. It's such a cool concept. It's such, you guys are doing great work. I'm glad you guys have made it. I'm sure you're like, hey, in 2017, as com- as Diamond has this chokehold on the comics industry, let's start a company. Congratulations on uh, on being successful. I'm, it's such a great company. You guys should all be very proud. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. If we knew the work, that was involved, we never would have done it. Well, I'm glad you didn't know. Let's not get at our time machine and find it. And that's, that's good. We're all better off for having good art in our lives, right? That's, it, it, you know, I get so frustrated when I hear people say, oh, we need to cut arts programs. It's like, no, no, listen, when you're done with your job as a plumber or as a carpenter, which are important jobs, you want to come home and watch TV or watch a movie or listen to a music or read a comic book. And we need artists for that. We can't, Art matters. Art is, we do way more stuff with art in our lives than we do with our work in our lives. And so it's frustrating when people want to get rid of art. So I appreciate you guys making good art. Thank you. All right. Well, thank you again, Tom. This has been an honor. Thanks, Tony. I really enjoyed it. Well, I cannot thank Tom enough for spending some time with me here. That was just such an honor and privilege to get to meet him. And, uh, Listen, everybody, you need to go to the links in the show notes. You need to be reading Ahoy Comics because they're amazing. You need to follow him on all the social media. He's very interactive. Just what a great guy. And um, thanks, everybody. So if you want to follow me, I'm on Twitter at Tricycle Boombox, or you can go to my website, arfarina.com, and find all kinds of goodness, links to this show and to other appearances I've done in other shows and some of the publications I have, and of course, most importantly, the link to the upcoming Judge Dread book, Judging Dread from Sequart. I wrote an essay edited by my good friend Scott Weatherly, made by Dr. Julian Darius, who's an, another excellent bloke. So get out there, get that book. It's covered by San Lotfi. I mean, come on, get that. So thanks, everybody, and I will see you next time. Hey.